So today is May 24th, 2015 in Tawakam, New Jersey, and we're going to be looking at what do we want in our lives, worry or peace. Is that all right? So, what do we have worry and anxiety about? Okay, well, first of all, we worry about, will I have enough? Right? Will I have enough food? Will I have enough money? Will I have enough health? Will I have enough interesting things to do? Will I have enough interesting people in my life? We worry about our relationships. Will I get along with my boss? Will I get along with my family? Will I get along with my society? Are all these different relationships going to work out with my parents, with my spouse, with my children, with my in-laws, with everybody? We worry about our decisions. Should I move here? Should I move there? Should I get this job? Should I get that job? What should I get a degree in? Who should I marry? Should I have children? How many children? <laughs> right? <laughs> Is it time to retire? Where should I live when I retire? I just, uh, what? I mean, we can worry about, should I get in the car now? Or should I go to the store? Or should I go to the park? We worry about suffering. You know, am I going to go through some suffering? Is someone I love going to go through some suffering? Am I going to get sick? Right? Am I going to be poor? Is there going to be some something terrible? We worry a lot about the people we love, right? Are they going to get hurt? We worry about what will happen with the things that we have. Will I get my degree? Will I get the promotion? Will I get the car? Will I get the house? Will I get everything that I want, that I need? Am I going to get respect from others? Am I going to get married? Am I going to get money and success? Am I going to get love? All these things I want in life, will I get them? And the studies show that the number one worry is will I run out of money before I run out of life? (laughs) Now, what's the problem with all this worry? And when when you're in anxiety about all these things, your mind is just going all over the place, right? Very difficult to focus on Krishna. Very difficult to focus on anything. And as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, you can't have happiness without what, does he say? Peace. He said you can't have happiness without peace. So we have all this worry and anxiety. There's no question of being happy. But we think, well, come on, Armila. If you tell me not to worry, then that means I'll just be hard-hearted. I'll be cold. I, I won't care. I'll just be cold. I don't care if I get money. I don't care if anyone loves me. I don't care if I pass my exam. I just don't care about anything. And we find that it's very common that people coming to a spiritual process think exactly like that. They think detachment and not worry. You know, matis barshas tukante asitos nasupadukadagamalapayanonichas tamstatikshas Okay, I'm going to be 
very tolerant. I am tolerating everything. I don't care about anything. Right? I was, I was staying with the family, and the mother had made a cream cheese sandwich, and the daughter didn't like cream cheese. And the mother was saying, if you don't hurry up and eat, you'll miss your bus. I don't care! <laughs> then you'll get a tardy at school. I don't care! <laughs> so we think... <laughs> you know all about that. But. So we, we may think that not having any worry means I just don't care. I become like a stone. Or we may think that not worrying is being very childish. Well, I just won't worry anymore. I won't worry about money. I just won't worry about money. I just won't go to work. <laughs> I won't worry if anybody likes me or not. I'll just insult them all the time. <laughs> I'll just become irresponsible. Because we think, well, the, all these things we're worrying about, they're, they're important things. And they're uncertain if I don't worry about them. You know, they, they won't work out right. It'll be a big problem. I, I have to worry about them. Now, if we think, what are the benefits we get from worrying? Now, my dear friends, this is a very important principle. Whenever we want to change something in our life that's causing us a problem, we often tend to look at it as only something negative. We think, well, I'm in anxiety or worrying because I'm a fool. <laughs> but everything we're doing, Shula Prabhupada says in the preface to Nectar Devotion, is to get some kind of happiness. If we didn't think something was bringing us happiness, my dear friends, we would not do it. So whenever we're trying to change a habit, it's absolutely essential that we look honestly on what benefits we believe we're getting from it. And, and I think this is a very difficult thing to do because it's very hard to admit that I'm looking for benefits in something that's negative. Okay, but this, this necessary, this kind of honesty. The devotees are called satam. Satam prasangal namaviri sambhado. The truthful persons. So this means being truthful with oneself, being introspective. So what are the benefits we get from worry? Why do we worry? And I think we can look at at least two benefits. One is we're trying to prepare ourselves. We think if I worry about this thing, then if it happens, I'll already have made a plan. The other reason I believe that we worry is to try to avoid something bad. Well, if I worry about money, if I worry about my health, if I worry about my relationships, then I can prevent them from going bad. Now, I want to ask, does worry and anxiety actually accomplish these things? Okay, maybe it helps us prepare a plan A and a plan B and a plan C, but you know what? Then you worry about your plan A's and plan B's and plan C's. Correct? Right? And how many plans can you make? You know, get up to plan Z. Or if you're from Britain, you'll get up to plan Z. But, you know, none of your plans may work out. Then what? And does worrying stop bad things from happening? No, and it doesn't even necessarily better prepare us for when they do happen. All right. So we want to look, is there a better way? Is there a way that we can prepare for the inevitable uncertainties of life and the inevitable difficulties in life without having this worry and anxiety? So we're going to look at... We're going to look... Yes, we are. At principles and then practice. So we're going to look first at the theory... 
So if you're looking for something practical, hold on, we'll get there. But we're first going to look at the theory, the principles, the philosophy behind why we worry and how we can find peace. We're going to look at two main principles, and then we're going to look at four ways to put those principles into practice. So our first principle is what is our shelter? That the reason we worry is we have the wrong shelter. So what do we mean by shelter? You know, when Krishna says, Sarvadharman Vrijajamam Ekam Sharanam Vrijah, please surrender to me, I, I will be your shelter. So a shelter is where we feel we're going to get our needs met. That's what we mean by a shelter. If we're talking about whatever, whatever we mean as a shelter, where I will get my needs met. So we could look at a lot of different needs. We could look at Satchitananda, you know. But we're going to look at a list of needs that's come up with by psychologists. And again, this is a partial list of needs. Srila Prabhupada talks about that the need of the soul is freedom, for example. We can have this. But this is just to give you some idea. So autonomy. This is the need we have to express ourselves and who we are. When Krishna talks about acting according to our nature, and Krishna tells Arjuna twice in the Bhagavad Gita, in the third chapter and in the 18th chapter, you have to follow your nature. It's impossible to repress your nature. So this desire to express ourselves, to have our own opinions, to be able to eat what we want to eat, dress the way we want to dress, be who we really are. So that's a need for autonomy. And then we have a need for connection. None of us want to be isolated. We need to connect with other people, with, with nature, of course, ultimately with God. We have a need for honesty and authenticity. We have a need for things to be real. I, I believe this is that the violation of this need is one of the hardest things for a human being to deal with. Betrayal. You know, when someone you trust or something that you trust ends up to be something different from what it appeared to be. You know, it, it, it's the kind of thing people sometimes just can't get over it. You know, this person that I trusted, they really weren't what they seemed to be. So we have a real need for things to be authentic. And we have a real need for fun. You know? uh, <laughs> for, for fun and for play. I mean, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, the yogi has a balance in eating, sleeping, working, and recreation. And we all have an innate need for recreation. And then we have a need for peace. You know, for just relaxation, for just peacefulness, for downtime, yes? And we have a need for meaning. Uh, this is a, a, one of the biggest drivers for human beings. You don't see this so much among the animals. And I think this need is particularly high in those who take up a spiritual path. We want, we want, we need that our lives, our actions, our existence has some meaning. Yeah, something that's a shelter is something that gives meaning to our life. And we also have a need for security. You know, that we're safe. Right? And we can analyze these, we can put them into the three categories of Satchit Ananda. So the reason we worry, my dear friends, is that the place we go to meet our needs is incapable of meeting them. That our shelters are not shelters. A need means something that's intrinsic to ourself that if unmet will give us suffering. Does this make sense to everybody? It's different from a want. You know, I might want it. What is anything I have? The Apple Watch. I might want an Apple Watch, 
but I don't need one. Sorry. Those of you who are running out to buy one. I, it's not something that I need. Okay? I don't need a flat screen TV. I don't even need a TV. That's something I want. If I don't have it, it's not going to cause harm in my life. But things that I need are things that will cause harm if I don't get them. That's why I worry about them. But worry comes when the source of getting those needs met cannot meet them. So what are our main sources for getting those needs met that aren't really sources that we worry about? We're going to look at four categories of these. The first is our body. Is our body capable of meeting all of those needs all the time? Is it? Can our body give us security, meaning, connection, peace, fun? Well, sometimes. Is it reliable? Is it reliable? No. Can it completely fulfill those needs? Well, you can see why we worry so much about our body. Because we know it's not reliable. What about our mind? Can our mind meet all of those needs? Can I go to my mind and say, please give me peace? Please give me meaning? Please give me connection? Sometimes, to some extent. <laughs> what about other living entities? Now, some people give up on humans and they go for an animal. You know, my dog, my cat, my horse. That will meet all of my needs. Can our family, our society, can they meet all of our needs all the time? They may try, but can they do it? What do you say? No. No. Well, that's why we worry so much about them. <laughs> what about our things? You know, we rely today. We rely a lot on our machines for connection, don't we? Yes. Also for meaning, for autonomy. But can they really fulfill those needs completely and reliably? No. Therefore, I worry about them. If they could meet my needs completely and reliably, would I need to worry about them? But because they can't, therefore I have anxiety. So therefore, Bhagavatam says that everything I worry about is like a toy soldier. I had a cousin when I was growing up who always wanted to play with toy soldiers. Whenever we visited his house, I actually had a collection of toy soldiers that I never played with except when we went to my uncle and auntie's house. But the, can the toy soldiers protect you? Fallible soldiers. Can they really protect what I already have? My body, my mind, other living beings, my things. And can they provide for what I don't have? So our first principle is that worry and anxiety come from having the wrong shelter. I'm having the wrong shelter. And therefore, if I have the real shelter, I won't have anxiety. In fact, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita 2.45, Nir Yoga Kshema Atmavan. Be free from all anxieties for gain and safety, and be established in the self. Be established in the self. Why? As he says in the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, when one can see the self by the pure mind, one what? Does he say? One sees the self by the pure mind and one feels what in the self? Anybody know? 
One relishes the self. You know what relish means? You really enjoy the self. says one will relish and rejoice in the self and experience boundless transcendental happiness through transcendental senses. He says this indeed is freedom from all miseries caused by material contact. When the real shelter is our very self, we become Atma Rama. We become satisfied in the self. Because the self is eternal, yes? Krishna says, never was there a time when I did not exist, nor you, or all these kings, nor in the future shall any of us cease to be. The soul already has everything it needs because the soul is part of the super soul, the super self, who is unlimited. If I realize I am part of the unlimited, then where is the cause for worry and anxiety? If I have shelter in the self, I have shelter in the self, then as Krishna says in the ninth chapter, that Krishna is taking care as a super soul. So this is the first principle. The first principle of worry versus peace is where is my shelter? Am I trying to get my needs met from the body, the mind, other living entities and things? Or am I trying to get my needs met from my very self and from God? Then the second principle is trust. Is trust. Because we might say, all right, well, Krishna is capable of meeting all of my needs. I believe that God has the capability of meeting all of my needs, but will he? Maybe he won't. Maybe I can't depend on him either. Now, my body doesn't even have the capacity to meet all of my needs, nor does my mind, nor does my husband, my wife, my children, my mother, my father, my government, my dog, my cat, my friends, my TV, right? That doesn't even have the capacity. You all understand? Yes? Just like, you know, you have your phone, your phone has a battery, that battery cannot power your house. It doesn't have the capacity. So you can say God has the capacity, but will he? Maybe he won't. So this is our very nice mantra. I'm sure most of you know this mantra. Can we chant it together? Om Purnam Ada Purnamidam Purnat Purnat Udachate Purnasya Purnam Adaya Purnam Eva Vasishate. This is a very nice mantra to learn if you want peace in your life. There's a school that I visit sometimes in London, not a Hare Krishna school, but the children there learn Sanskrit. And when I was visiting there, they asked me, would you like to hear the perfect mantra? The perfect mantra. So I said, sure, and they chanted this. I said, why is that the perfect mantra? Because they said, it says everything is perfect. So the literal translation of this mantra is, this is complete, that is complete. From the complete, the complete comes. If you take the complete away from the complete, still the complete remains. So that Krishna is complete, and even if I take an infinite from the infinite, infinite minus infinite is infinite. Therefore, I can get infinitely my needs met, and there's still infinitely more. So we say that Krishna is the complete. We mean that he is completely satisfying. 
that when we are aware of our already existing relationship with Krishna, we will feel completely satisfied. By definition, by definition, our link with the Lord must be completely satisfying. It must also be completely loving if he is complete. Yes, Krishna says, Surudam Sarvabhutanam. This is part of what Srila Prabhupada calls the peace formula, the last verse in chapter 5 of the Bhagavad Gita. Right? This is what we worry about. Is God going to be completely loving? Maybe he won't be nice to me. Right? My mommy's not completely loving. Uh, my husband, my wife, my government, my boss, they're not completely loving. But God is completely loving. And he's completely full of pleasure. He's called Akila Rasamrita Murti. He is the repository of all pleasures. Not even just uh, happiness. <laughs> But all varieties of pleasures, 12 rasas, and all combinations of these 12 rasas, and each of us have a particular rasa with Krishna, particular variety of that relationship that is ours alone with Krishna. And he is experiencing that with each living entity simultaneously. So when we understand that our relationship with Krishna is going to be complete in this way, it doesn't mean that we have certainty in our lives. A lot of times people feel the way to stop worrying is to have certainty. That's not the answer. You cannot arrange your life so that you're going to be certain what happens next. Now this becomes very clear in certain circumstances, but we never have certainty, isn't it? Nor do we have complete control. Materialistic people are trying to have absolute certainty and absolute control. But we never have either. Sometimes we become more aware. Just like as a traveler, I traveled for many years without a home base. And I was explaining to somebody the other day, when you travel without a home base, you know, you can only plan so much ahead. You can't plan your travel five years ahead. You can plan maybe four or five months ahead is about maybe six and when you have no home base, you know, your, your mind says, well, what happens after the end of my plan? Yes? That never, it never comes to that because two months before the end of your plan, you make other plans. So you never actually fall off the cliff. But you become very aware that life is very uncertain and is not under your control. And in all of our lives, we have these times of awareness when something happens where all of a sudden the curtain is pulled away and we see, oh, nothing is ever certain and nothing is totally under my control. That is the way it is in this world. So I get peace not by having certainty and having control, but by having trust that my connection with the complete whole is completely satisfying, completely loving, completely caring, completely pleasurable. That I trust that that my connection with the complete whole does not make my life all planned out and certain and under my control. It's not that God becomes my puppet or my servant. Many people take religion like this. I think this is a general mood of religion in the world. Okay, dear Lord, this is how I want you to run my life. <laughs> and he's going to laugh, like you all did. He's probably going to laugh a little louder. But that's not the relationship. 
The relationship is that through the uncertainty and through the lack of my control, I trust that he's in control and I trust that everything's going to be complete. So these are the two principles. Have the right shelter and trust that shelter. Have the right shelter and trust that shelter. Have the right shelter and trust that shelter. All right, how does that play out practically? You can say, well, that's a nice theoretical idea. That's a nice philosophical idea. But still, when I go through my life, that, that doesn't help me, just a philosophical idea. You always have to have the philosophical and the theoretical idea first. You can't, you can't have a behavior without having the concept. Okay, so we're going to go to four very specific ways of acting, four very specific ways of acting based on these principles. Okay, we're going to look at each one of them in turn. Having devotion to the eternal and the secure rather than to the temporary and fallible. Acting without attachment to the results. Being absorbed in yoga in the immediate present and delighting in the adventure. So we're going to look at each of these in turn. Now we are tonight just looking at these briefly. We are not looking at them in depth. And any of these we could take into a week's seminar on them. <laughs> So we're just giving this as an idea, and you please take them and develop them in specificity as will be applicable to your own life. Because exactly how these are going to be applied to your life is going to be a little different than the person next to you. So looking at the first one, which is being devoted to the eternal and the secure rather than the temporary and fallible. We talked about having the right shelter, but when we talk about having the right shelter, we're talking about it on an emotional and desire platform. We are not speaking about having the right shelter intellectually because worry and anxiety is an emotion. And therefore, if our attachment to the right shelter is only intellectual or theoretical, it will not help us. Our having the correct shelter has to be on the platform of feelings and desires. And we talked about this verse already from Bhagavad Gita 2.25, Nir Yoga Kshema Atmavan, to give up all anxieties for gain and safety and to be established in the self. And this is a feeling about the soul cannot be harmed. In Bhagavad Gita 2.23, Krishna says the soul cannot be cut into pieces by any weapon, nor burned by fire, nor moistened by water, nor withered by the wind. Many times people think that humility means that I hate myself and that I criticize myself. But Krishna explains in the Bhagavad Gita, as I already said in chapter 6, that one should what? Relish and rejoice in the self. Right? And we just saw in the previous verse, Atmavan, be established in the self. This means practically loving one's self. Now, don't love the false self. The problem is when we think self, we think body and mind. The body and the mind, my dear friends, are not particularly lovable. First of all, they will not return the favor. Have you noticed that? Okay, you'll love your body and serve your body and it will not love you in return. You love your mind and serve your mind. It will not love you in return. It will simply give you trouble. It is a, they are very bad masters. And they are not nice. Again, I, I apologize for bringing this up, but, but they're really not nice. 
okay? You may have the most beautiful skin, but if you just saw some skin, you know, you may have the most beautiful hair, but if you just see some hair on the floor, it's disgusting, yes? I like to give the example, I was in an airport and they're showing something on the screen because they believe that if people aren't looking at a screen, they'll just, they'll be able to survive, you know, everybody has to have a screen. They have some screen in the airport. I was with a group of devotees, men and women, and they showed some advertisement for shampoo. So they sold this. They showed this impossibly beautiful woman, more beautiful than you will ever see in the world, with this impossibly beautiful hair. I've never seen anybody ever with hair like this. And she was swirling her hair around, and her hair was, you know, all the men looked at the floor. And I thought, but even these men who were having to turn their faces away from this obviously false person that if you actually just saw the hair, it wouldn't be attractive, correct? Right? So therefore, we don't love that self. That self is not lovable. But we love the real self. Have devotion and love for the real self. Who is the real self? Jivara Swarpaya Krishnara Nichidasa. It's the demons who hate themselves. They hate the fact that they are servants of God. We should love our real self and love Krishna. We cannot love Krishna without loving the real self and vice versa. Have our emotions and our desires attached to our real self and to Krishna. To relish and rejoice in the self. Bhagavad Gita 16, 20 to 23. Krishna says, being situated in such a position, one is never shaken even in the midst of greatest difficulty. This is actual freedom from all miseries arising from material content. Our emotions and our desires invested in the real self and in God to be absorbed in the eternal with emotion and with desire. With emotion and with desire. Remove the emotion and desire from the temporary and put it in the real. Men act in that mood, instead of acting with attachment to the results. This is an extremely important point, a little difficult and a little subtle. Krishna talks about, right, perform your duty equipoise, O Arjuna, abandoning all attachment to success or failure. Such equanimity is called yoga, without considering happiness or distress, gain or loss, victory or defeat. Strive for yoga, which is the art of all work. Generally in this world, we are attached to enjoying the result of our work. And the result of our work is going to be something for the body, something for the mind, something with other living beings, or something. That again, we're thinking of our shelter. Having the right shelter also means I'm not getting my happiness from the external result. Oh, this is so important. Such a key for freedom, my dear friends. Such a key for freedom. If you just get this one point, your whole life transforms. In the material world, we do work, 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 sacrifice, sacrifice, work, work, sacrifice, sacrifice to get a fruit, karma pala. Do you always get the fruit? Sometimes there's no fruit. Sometimes the birds ate it before you got there. Or sometimes you get the fruit and it's not good, it's, it's bitter. Yes? 
Maybe sometimes you get a fruit and it's sweet, but then the fruit's over, and then again you have to work for another fruit. And then we're always in anxiety. Can I control whether or not I get this fruit? And whether or not it tastes good? Can, do I have control over that? No. So I'm in constant anxiety. So in the art of yoga, you say, I am no longer working for anything external. I am not working for a building, even a new temple. Sorry about this, folks. And that's not what I'm working for. I'm not working for winning the battle. Nothing that can be measured externally. That's no longer where I'm investing my happiness, nor is that how I am defining success. I do not define success by how many books did I distribute, how many people became devotees, how big of a building I built, whether or not all my children become devotees, how healthy I am, how many sticks of incense I could wave. I no longer measure my happiness and my success. I'm not invested in the outcome. Because I cannot control the outcome. If one invests one's happiness and one's definition of success in something one cannot control, one is bound to be in anxiety. Make sense to everybody? Right? It's having the wrong shelter. So what result do I get? What becomes the measure of my success? The measure of my success is, is Krishna smiling? That's the measure of my success. There are devotees who fail to get an external result but still make Krishna smile. Can anyone tell me some example of a devotee who in their service failed to get an external success and still make Krishna smile? Jatayu. Jatayu, very good example. He completely failed to stop Ravana and still Lord Ramachandra was very happy. There were the coward boys where Krishna told them, go and do what? Where they failed. Go to the Brahmanas and bake some food. And the boys came back empty-handed. Kavi Kanapur says, the boy said, my dear Lord, how has your infallible order not produced a result? How has nectar become salty? And Krishna said, oh, it's like that when you beg, maybe you don't get it. Our measure of success should be, is Krishna smiling? And what is going to make Krishna smile is our effort to please him. This desire to please the Lord. We are trying to build a temple, not to build a temple, my dear friends, but to please the Lord. And if the Lord is pleased with our efforts, then that is the success. If you make a lot of money and Krishna is not pleased, you're a failure. If you try to make a lot of money and you fail, but Krishna is pleased, that is the success. Why does this remove our worry and anxiety? Because, you know what? Krishna's pleasure is 100% under our control. I can control whether or not I have the intention of pleasing Krishna. I cannot control whether I sell 10 books or 50 books or no books. I cannot control how many sticks of incense I can wave. I cannot control how much money I... I cannot control that. I have some control, but not complete control. But I can control, do I intend to please Krishna? Is that my intention?
Now, acting without food of result also has something to do not only with my intention, but it also has to do with time. Because acting for a fruit of result makes me very what-oriented? Future, yes? And past. So, oh, I tried this in the past, it didn't work, and I lament. Oh, I want this in the future, will I get it? I hanker. So it's explained that in, this, in the Brahma Samhita 556, it's explained that in the spiritual reality there is the eternal existence of transcendental time who is ever-present and without past or future. So when do I want to have the intention of pleasing Krishna? When it's all done? When do I want to have the intention of pleasing Krishna? Now. I have the intention of pleasing Krishna now, and now, and now, and now, and now. And then if the result does come, you know what? It's just another now. There's no greater investment in that result. One is getting success now and now and now and now and now in some way that's under our control. Would that give you peace? If my measure of success and my experience of happiness is my intention to please Krishna and connect with him in the now. Can we all do that? Can we at least try to do that? Can we at least have the intention to have the intention to please Krishna in this moment? Can we do that? Is that something everybody is capable of doing? If you say, how do I know what pleases Krishna? Well, you know he tells you. He doesn't make it a secret. Bhagavad Gita 12, 13 to 20. He says, this is how you become dear to me. This is how you please me. This is why we have a spiritual master. We're celebrating tonight two members of the congregation getting initiated. Why does one take a guru who can explain? This is how you show your intention to please Krishna. This is a nice poem that Bhaktivinoda would like. That don't be absorbed in the future. Don't be absorbed in the past. Ask in the live, act in the living present, heart within, and God overhead. So this is the mood. Then you can say, all right, okay, I put my emotions and desires in the self and God. I am attached to the intention of pleasing God rather than to the external success or failure, and I am attached to pleasing God in the moment. But, 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 even if I do all of that, maybe terrible things will happen anyway. <laughs> they will. They will. Terrible things will happen. You know what? We're all going to die. But none of us are going to die. It's just the body that's going to die. But no matter what happens... You know, many of us here are parents, yes? Yes? And we're not perfect parents. Anyone here a perfect parent? But still, we do our best to meet the needs of our children, don't we? Do we give our children food? Do we give them clothes? Do we give our children more food than they need? Yeah, I think so, yes. Do we give them more clothes than they need? Do we probably give them more toys than they need? Do we make sure they have other things, extra things? Do they have sports? and art, and culture, and friends, and yes? And, and, and we're, we're so imperfect. We're imperfect, sometimes we're selfish, sometimes we're tired, sometimes we're just not even nice. Yes, am I correct? 
so many failings. But still, we take care of our children. How much better is Krishna taking care of us? Krishna is certainly meeting all of my needs perfectly in his own wonderful way at his own wonderful time. And many times when there's a terrible catastrophe in our life, later on we see, oh, it wasn't a catastrophe at all. It was kindness. It was mercy. Sometimes you see it an hour later. Sometimes you see it ten years later. But you see, actually it was kindness. All those terrible things were not really terrible at all. And therefore one takes, Bhaktivinoda describes this in Jaiva Dharma. Beautiful, beautiful statement in Jaiva Dharma. How we see everything that's happening even in this world as the Lord's pastimes. And everything we're doing with him is part of a great adventure story. You know, if our lives were all for certain and under our control, they would also be very boring. Do you know, even Krishna likes surprise. It's one of the rasas, Anbhuta Ras. Krishna likes surprise. You know, Krishna's always expanding and then his knowledge of himself expands and his knowledge of himself never keeps up with himself. Bless you. Krishna's always finding out new things about himself. And do you know Krishna's always finding new things about us too? Krishna finds us fascinating. That's why Krishna wants a relationship with a living entity. You never really know what a living entity is going to do. And we you know with your machine, if, if you turn the key and it doesn't turn on, it's broken. But you can't do that with another person. You can't just turn a key and they always turn on. They're full of surprises. Without surprises, there's no lila. There's no rasa. There's no lila. There's no relationship. Am I correct? You know, you could, you could program a robot to be your perfect spouse, but it would be boring. <laughs> really. Even most of the time we're on our machines. We're on our machines communicating with people, yes? Or we're watching some entertainment where we don't know how it's going to turn out. What do they call that? A spoiler? If someone tells you the end of the story... Hey, don't spoil it for me. So why do we want peace? By having everything spoiled. Go on an adventure and trust that everything is going to turn out right. So we're going to summarize. Good teachers summarize. So we worry about what we're, what we're convinced we need to be happy, but we have the wrong shelter. Our shelters are fallible and they cannot create certainty. So our principles of peace is we have the real shelter, we have the real shelter, and we trust the real shelter. And what do we do? We give our emotions and our desires to the self and the super-self. We're enthusiastic to please Krishna rather than enthusiastic for the results, and we're taking pleasure and satisfaction in pleasing Krishna now, and we're exulting in participating in Krishna's adventure. And then we have peace, not because we have more control over the future. Jai, So then we have peace, not because we have control over a certain future, but because our attachment and pleasure is situated in truth. So as I promised you,